Oh, good morning, everyone. Good to see you this morning. Good morning to you. Good. So you all enjoying the junk food over there by the table there? <laughs> it's very inspiring junk food, right? <laughs> That's right. Good. Just a, a way of reminder, uh, in the bulletin today you saw, uh, perhaps we'll see, if, or we'll see, a uh, new Bible study beginning this coming Thursday called Starting Again. It's, uh, it's Paul's letter to the Romans, where we look at uh, various chapters in Romans that talk about how we start over again in life, looking at uh, the plan of salvation that really is all about fresh beginnings, fresh starts for our life. So uh, that's this coming Thursday, and you can uh, there's information about how to register for that as well. Okay. So when we turn to the Lord in prayer, today is the last day of our gathering, and our topic is returning to unity and mission. So let's begin our prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. So Father, we give you thanks and give you praise for the Word of God and for its power of grace to heal the human heart, to enlighten the mind, to change and transform us from within. Thank you, Father, for the gift of your word. As we heard today, this weekend in the readings, your word, the scriptures are your gift to us, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit. They're helpful for us in growing and learning and teaching and reproof, correction, equipping us for every good work. So we pray today, this day, Lord, that the word of God regarding unity in the body of Christ and regarding mission, as you call us to, would truly indeed transform our hearts, enlighten our minds, and propel us into taking the kind of action and living the kind of life that will be, give witness to your Son. And we pray all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay. So uh, everybody should have a copy of the outline. It's a little bit different format today. Um, I think Judy has them. Yeah. Judy, you have any more? This table needs some. talked about this whole series called Refreshments about um, kind of re- uh, kick-starting our spiritual life. And we said that some ways to do that is by through repentance, by returning back to Jesus. He's really the heart and the center of that. Um, we also spoke last week about the role of prayer and God's word in our life. And if we begin to put these things into practice in our life, we'll begin to see a, a renewed spiritual vitality in our life. Today, we'll be looking at unity in the body of Christ and mission two key components that revitalize our spiritual life. And one of the ways to think about this series is think of it as, as, a, as a spiritual benchmark. If you want to know how you're doing, maybe every three, four months, take it out and kind of do a checklist and say, how am I doing in the area of repentance? Am I really focusing upon Jesus? How am I doing with my prayer life and the role of the scriptures in my life? Am I really consistent with all that? And today we'll look at unity in our relationships with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ and our mission, sharing our faith with others, all these things, when put into practice, will create a, a, a almost like a, uh, a vitality. They'll kickstart our spiritual life in such a way that keep it vital, keep, keep the vital signs of our spiritual life, you know, healthy for us. So, so this is intended to do just that, be a benchmark for you at the same time, uh, kind of be uh, a little checklist to see how vital your spiritual life is. Okay, so we begin with uh, Acts chapter 4. We're looking at two sets of passages of Scripture, Acts chapter 4. So if you're not there yet, we'll turn to Acts 4.
verse 31 through 37. So, Okay, so um, as they, verse 31, when they all had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. This is kind of like a second Pentecost, if you would. Verse 32, think of this as now the consequences of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now the company of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Verse 34, there was not any one needy among them, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was surnamed by the apostles uh, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field which belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay, so we're going to start just with that first. And again, our, our format a little bit different this morning. It uh, involves actually fill in the blanks. So we're going to engage you with a little bit with some of that. So the, first of all, the power of the Spirit brought three things. They shaken the place where they were. I'll explain what the word shaken what that refers to. Filled with the Holy Spirit, and they speak with boldness. Okay, so shaken, the place where they were. Uh, was there an actual physical shaking? There could have been, um, but it, it means primarily a transformation of the heart. That the, the presence of the Lord was so powerful at work in their life that it began to transform them. Could that have been initiated from some kind of physical outward shaking? Sure could have. Um, sure could have. But the, the results of it, which is what we're really interested in, is the heart. The heart was changed. The heart was transformed. Filled with the Holy Spirit was very reminiscent of Pentecost itself, that the Holy Spirit was in their life in a new, powerful way. They, if they were at Pentecost, which they most likely were, a lot of them, they were already filled with the Holy Spirit. So did they need another filling? Yes, they did. I like to say because they leaked, you know, just like we do. We need more fillings of the Holy Spirit because we leak, you know. Um, and so being filled with the Holy Spirit means the new presence and power of the Holy Spirit at work in their life. And then another result that was so characteristic, they spoke with boldness. What did they speak? They spoke the Word of God. With the Word of God, he refers to the gospel, the good news of Jesus. They, they spoke that boldness with a clarity, a conviction, authority, a confidence. They weren't arrogant. It was just with confidence and with clarity. The power of the Spirit was essential for them because it, the Holy Spirit brought to them the truth of Jesus in a new and deeper way in their life. Notice what it also says uh, in um, verse 33. It says that great grace was upon them all which means the word for great grace, actually grace means favor, was upon them. They were held in high esteem. It doesn't mean that people believe their message. It just simply meant that they were esteemed by the community around them. It doesn't mean also they weren't persecuted, but it just means they were so well respected sometimes it led to persecution. Okay. So in other words, the people in the community had a, had a, had a respect for what was happening amongst the Christians. We'll see in a moment how they lived, but it didn't necessarily mean that they didn't get persecuted. So, 
Okay, so looking under number one then, this resulted for them in being of one mind and heart. So the being filled with the Holy Spirit was essential for them being of one mind and one heart. And the changes in them brought about unity and mission. So the Holy Spirit's role in their life, in the life of the community and the life of the individual, was so significant that it, it was he was the catalyst for bringing about the kind of unity we'll see in just a minute and the mission that we'll explore also this morning. And I'll keep reiterating um, that fact that the Holy Spirit is essential for us and being filled with the Holy Spirit, even though if we're baptized and confirmed, um, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas talked about new sendings of the Holy Spirit into our life at different seasons of our life, maybe taking on different ministries, different vocations, you know, that the Holy Spirit, he talked about new sendings to us. So we're always in need of more of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit because one of the things that he does bring about within us is unity in our midst and the desire for mission. Okay. Number two, filled I should, I should say, filled with the Holy Spirit leads to willingness to share with others. So filled with the Holy Spirit leads to willingness to share with others. A lot of times people will say, well, you know, I don't really... Um, two questions a lot of times as Catholics we face is, I don't know what to say with people to talk about my faith, but I'm not so sure. I, have a, I don't really necessarily have a desire to do that either. So... The, the how part, we can always train that. The desire is a different thing. That's something only the Holy Spirit can give you when we're filled with him, when we ask for more of his presence and power in our life. He's the one that gives us the desire to share our faith with us. I remember in my own life, um, as, as I was entering actually first year of college, uh, this whole concept or idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit was new to me. It was in my family because my parents were had talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were experiencing that in their own life. And my sister, who's a year younger than me, she also was experiencing that. And I could see the changes in their life. One of the things that was so significant was that they had a desire to talk about their faith with others. And I, you know, grown up in a family, I mean, you know your family members. You know that that wasn't there before, and now it is. So, you know, what made the difference? Well, their openness to and being prayed with to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, when I got around to finally, it took me about a year later, you know, uh, when I finally got around to that and asking, it, was a, it wasn't like I wasn't seeking, I was struggling with it. I, you know, I was really kind of tossing and turning with it. But when I finally was able to submit my heart to the Lord and, and say, Lord, fill me with your spirit, about two weeks later, I was working, I was going to Towson, uh, State University, and I was working as a uh, in a restaurant, and I remember you know people share their their struggles with you, you know your fellow employees. Well, as they shared their struggles, and it wasn't the first time I heard it, I began to open my mouth and say, you know, well I don't really understand, I don't know the solution, but Jesus loves you and He has the solution for you. It's like, whoops, <laughs> can I have that back? <laughs> it's like, where'd that come from, you know? So, but I, I realized, and I and I began to do that with ease. Like I, it, like you couldn't, I wasn't like struggling to do it. It came naturally. And I realized that, you know, um, two weeks earlier, I had knelt down before a picture of the sacred heart of Jesus in my room and said, Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And this was the consequence of that. So, there was a there was a connection there, a 
cause and effect relationship there. And believe me, if you would have said to me, did you, did you know you were evangelizing? I would have said, what's that? <laughs> I had no idea what evangelization was. Never heard of the word, you know, never heard of it. So um, there's something about the Holy Spirit in our life being activated, as it were, that leads us to having a desire to share our faith with others. So just like the scriptures say here. So let's take a look at characteristic of being filled with the Spirit. Some of the characteristics are joy. The apostles and the disciples were persecuted, yet they were joyful. Um, second, they spoke with boldness the word of God. We saw that. And they shared generously. We'll explore that in just a minute. And God worked through them with power. In verse 33 it says, And with great power the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So God works in us with power, meaning his gifts, but also we see him working in us and through us in ways that we couldn't have imagined that are beyond us, you know. That's his power at work. So there's a lot of good things that can come from being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now let's take a look at these verses and talk about the whole idea of sharing uh, generously because uh, this is a key aspect of the unity that the... Early church had. So let's look at uh, verse 34. It says that there was not anyone needy among them, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the feet, at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made to each as they had any need. Okay. So first of all, I think um, look at some of the language here. I think to I remember. Back when I was a, a, a new pastor at Church Crucifixion many years ago, um, we were formed a pastoral council for the first time, and uh, I took the passage very similar to this. It talked about how the early church shared and sold their property, and one person said, spoke up and said, that's communism. <laughs> so I said, well, I said, actually, it may appear that way, but actually it's not. I said, and here's what that meant. First of all, the Jewish people were... Uh, believed in private property and private ownership. Okay, so they believed in your own, what you could have and what you could possess. What the early church did was they set up a distribution system so that if there's anybody of need, then they would call upon the community and say, hey, we have need. And then the people come forth with their freedom, with their own desire to, if they wanted to, and they would sell parts of their property or give away some parts of it, however they wanted to do it. But they would do it to be able to meet the needs of the community. So we're not talking about communism here, okay? We're talking about uh, people freely sharing of their material resources um, as the needs of the community arose. The apostles here, as you look at the place of the apostles' feet, they had the, the calling of the Lord to be good stewards of that. They were distributors of that. So in other words, they were caretakers of that material, uh, would be money or there'd be property, and they could then distribute it as they understood the needs were in the community. So they had the role of distributing it. Um, the question comes down to is, let's take a look at some of the words here, first of all. Um, it says, there was not anyone needy among them. Um, it is a statement that they were taking care of the people's material needs as well as their spiritual needs. Um, okay, so... What it meant was that the Holy Spirit had so touched the hearts of this people 
that they were willing to share generously of their material possessions, whether it be finances or material things, to take care of the needs of their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, because they saw other Christians as their brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, I, I suppose in one sense, when you're a, a, a persecuted minority, you tend to see each other more as brothers and sisters in Christ than when you live in a society where you know, it's, there is no persecution. You know, um, But here, the early church was novel, and it was being persecuted, and so they saw one another for the reality that they were as sisters and brothers in Christ. Look at um, also here. Let's see, where was it? Um, look at verse 36. Thus Joseph, who was surnamed by the apostle Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, sold a field to which belonged to him and brought the money, laid it at the apostles' feet. Let's look at number three on your uh, outlines here. Sharing, um, it should be sharing and encouragement is characteristic of Barnabas. Sharing and encouragement. Barnabas is a wonderful model of the early church. He's like, captures what the early church was all about. A man of encouragement, his name means son of encouragement. Um, he, was, he shared his resources generously. He was also, had the spiritual gift of encouragement. You know, when... Paul the Apostle, before he was the Apostle Paul, he was Saul, the persecutor. He got converted. I often say it was the good news and the bad news for, for Saul. The good news is he came to life in Christ. The bad news is all the people who are persecuting, he had to go now and pastor. <laughs> Try that for, you know, what kind of strategy do you have for that? Because when he stood up in front of congregations, he could look out and he could see that, gee, you know, that's Joe. I threw in jail just a couple months ago, you know. Um, or that's their family, you know, I was responsible for the interrogation of their father, you know. I mean, imagine what this guy had to deal with as he went back into the Christian churches. So he didn't have any credibility at first. You know, it would be like taking a mass murderer who's in jail and, you know, on death row, and then suddenly finding out they had a conversion to Jesus Christ. We've heard of that, right? I don't know what your thoughts are. My first thoughts are, let me, sure, <laughs> you know, sure, yeah, right? Yeah, because because our, my first instinct is to say, well, did that really happen? You know, is he just, I'm sure that's what they were thinking about Saul. Did that really happen to him? You know, well, the guy who gave credibility to Saul was Barnabas. Barnabas came alongside of Saul and encouraged him and his Christian walk. Barnabas was a man of great credibility in the early Christian community. Classic example is right here, what he did with his property and so on. He had great esteem. He was a man that was full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith, as uh, it says later on in the, in the uh, scriptures. So he came alongside of Saul because he understood what God was doing in this man's life. And he gave this man credibility mentored him, discipled him. And in fact, when uh, in Antioch, when this great outpouring of the Holy Spirit broke out and people were starting to come to Christ and, and being baptized and all that, you know, it was Barnabas who knocked on Saul's door and said, hey, get your toothbrush, you know, we're going to catch the next Pan Am jet, we're flying down to Antioch, you know, because he took him along and he, he mentored him 
and he discipled him. And as, so while Barnabas went to Antioch, it was Saul that went with him, and Saul learned. So I often say we don't get a St. Paul unless there was a Barnabas in his life. You know. So let me ask you this question. Who is the Barnabas in your life? Who's the person that's encouraging you to walk uh, and follow the way of Christ? You know? And then who are you being a Barnabas to? That's what Christian community is meant to be. That's why it's, as you've heard me say before, it's important that we come together and share our faith and our life together um, in small group settings because uh, we need to be Barnabases to one another and we all need a Barnabas for our life. Yeah. Okay, so let's take a look here at Barnabas, number three. Barnabas is a model of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And why is that? Because he is an, he's an encourager of others in joy and in giving. The word for encouragement is paraclesis. It's actually the word for the Holy Spirit. It's called the paraclete. Barnabas was of the, um, a tribe of the Levite. He was a native of Cyprus. So when we talk about unity in the body of Christ, we talk about, we're talking about practically encouraging one another, but you can't encourage what you don't know. So we have to learn to develop relationships with one another and share our faith and share our life with one another and then share our resources with the community. And they are all benchmarks of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So, Okay, so let's turn over to the second part. We'll look at Acts chapter 13. We're going to talk about mission then. Another characteristic of being filled with the Holy Spirit, then, is, is sharing our faith. Number one, love for one another characterized the believers in Antioch. And we just saw that, right? Love for one another. But what also love does is it leads us to sharing our faith. So this led to spreading the good news to the Gentiles. They caught a passion for mission. Again, I'd like to stress to you that this is not somebody can be a cheerleader for. Like, I can't stand up here and be a cheerleader for you about mission. This is something the Holy Spirit bursts in our heart, you know, by being filled with his Spirit. He, bring, he bursts in us a love for one another that's supernatural, and he bursts in us a desire to share our faith. Let's take a look at Acts 13. Verses 1 through 3, we'll start there first. Now in the church at Antioch, and by the way, Antioch was like a vibrant, alive, you know, up-and-coming church in the ancient world. So it was like, it was like uh, the go-to place for the great things that God was doing there. Okay, now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas was one, one person there. Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Siren, and Manningen, a member of the court of Herod the Techarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and prayer, praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So this is the early church at liturgy, at Eucharist. Worshiping, they added fasting to it. Um, 
And in, in the midst of this, if you look at number two in your outline, there's three types of leadership in the church at Antioch. There's bishops, there's presbyters, which are priests. They actually were originally called presbyter before they were called priests, and deacons. So in that leadership structure, and this is important to see, the Holy Spirit said that separate from me Barnabas and Saul for work I've called them to do. What is the work? It was actually to send them on mission. So next in your um, fill-in-the-blank there is ministries rise from the charisms of prophecy and teaching. So what we see here is that the ministry of Saul and Barnabas going out came as a result of spiritual gifts, charisms, in the community. Called One was called prophecy, one was called teaching. Now, prophecy has very little to do with future prediction. Prophecy has to do with direct, uh, uh, correct, not correction, but encouragement and a sense of where the Lord is leading us. Um, so it's not like predicting the future. It's more like a sense of what he wants to accomplish now, and he encourages us in that. That's what prophecy does. Teaching uh, says, let me, let's take that and look at the scriptures and, and kind of flesh that out more. Let's kind of like see the practicalities of that. So the Holy Spirit used both of those gifts to be able to give rise to the ministries of evangelization in the early church. It's a lot different than what we're used to doing. Um, usually we get together and say, let's, you know, let's create a three or five year plan and see how it works, you know. And uh, actually what the early church did was they gathered for prayer, they fasted, you know, and um, then they let, they, they really took time to let the Lord speak to them through the gifts of prophecy and teaching so they could understand where the Lord was leading them. Now, did Paul and Saul, or did Saul and Barnabas had to plan for their mission? Absolutely, they had to. So they had to create a plan. They had to look at resources. They had to look at who they're going to bring along and were they trained and equipped yet, and what do we do to train them and equip them? So there was planning involved, but the planning came after the Lord gave them direction through prophecy and through teaching, as a result of them gathering to worship and to ask the Lord for direction. They got pretty good results, though. So. If you're, if you're kind of result-orientated like I am, you know, you say, well, how come it made that thing work? You know, how come it worked? Well, it worked because they gathered for prayer and they relied upon the gifts in the community, prophecy and teaching particularly. And then they got a sense of direction from the Lord. Then they planned on that basis and they got good results. Okay. So just a lesson for us today, you know, uh, particularly in the American society, where we are so eager to create our three and five year plans and to, you know, to roll out this program and roll out this program and, you know, and all that. But did we wait upon the Lord and listen to him? And are we cultivating the gifts of the Holy Spirit that can help us understand the direction the Lord's leading us? Yeah. So you can see here that it, um, the leadership of the community relied upon the charisms so in other words, the leadership didn't have those charisms. They had their own gift of leadership. It was the other charisms in the community, prophecy and teaching, that they relied upon to help them understand the direction. So you can see how they involved other people and their gifts to be able to get a sense of direction. 
So it's a good lesson for us to learn as well, that we need more than just a leader saying, hey, let's go over here, you know? No, let's, let's, rely, let's ask the Lord to re- bring his gifts to help us to understand what direction we should be moving into, how we should proceed with that. And then we can plan and from that point on. Okay. So notice in verse 3, it says that after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Number three on your outline, laying on the hands is a biblical gesture that conveys several things. First of all, it conveys healing. Jesus laid his hands upon people many times for healing. Empowering with the Holy Spirit. Consecration. And ordination. So in this case, verse 3, it was more consecration to a mission. They, were, they weren't being ordained. They were being consecrated for a particular mission. Wouldn't it be great um, if we took our ministries that we have going right now, and, we, and heaven knows we need more ministries as well, but, you know, like, um, and just took them and brought them up for the congregation and lay hands upon them to consecrate them to the work they're doing? You know, what do you think that would mean, not only for the community, but spiritually? What do you think that would ha- take place and happen for them? You know, a new sense of empowerment, a new sense of mission, a new sense of purpose in their ministry. Yeah. Just a thought. Okay, so that's how uh, mission got formed in the early church, how it got initiated. So let's take a look now at... Uh, verses 44 through 52, and we'll conclude with this part of it, to look at um, the challenges the early church faced. Verse 44 um, in chapter 13. Uh, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of God. Uh, but whether, but when the Jews were, saw the multitudes, they were filled with jealousy and contradicted what was spoken by Paul and revolved him. The word for revolve here means they blasphemed what he said. They defamed his name. And verse 46, And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken first to you, since you thrust it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we turn to the Gentiles. Okay, For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have sent you to be a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the uttermost parts of the earth. Verse 48, and when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of God. As many as were ordained to eternal life believed. The word ordained there doesn't mean ordained to priesthood. It means ordained to the calling to eternal life. In verse 49, and the word of God, word of the Lord spread throughout all the region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and leading men of the city and stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them, which is a Semitic way of saying, you know, we're done with you guys. We're moving on to a new place now. Okay, you had the opportunity here. We're moving on to a new place. And they went to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So the mission that they had, as great as it was, you know, praying together and the the charisms of prophecy and teaching brought clarity as to what direction should be heading in, and they plan for their trip, and then they go, right? And what happens is they meet challenges and they meet uh, persecution. And it says here that the Jews, they defamed the name of Paul, for example. 
They uh, blasphemed his name almost. Um, they were opposing. They were inciting division. Uh, they were inciting people to rise up against the word of God, which is the gospel, the good news that Paul and Barnabas were proclaiming. So here's the point of this is that um, we're in the midst of a spiritual warfare. If look at number four on your outline here. Verses 44 through 52, opposition to the good news is part of the nature of spiritual warfare. It's part of this, the role of, of spiritual warfare. In other words, not everyone's going to be open to hearing the gospel. And um, it's not just simply like, okay, you believe that, I believe this, so we're different. It's more like there are some situations where there are actual opposition against the Christian message. Um, you know, um, in our country, we don't see a whole lot of it. There's some. There's more of it today, probably there was than 50 years ago. But, but if you go to Middle East countries, to be a Christian, if you're a Muslim, to be a Christian means that you're probably going to lose your job, be kicked out of your family, you know, um, and could possibly be, you know, uh, killed. I remember um, at St. Philip Neri one year we had a family that had come from Pakistan. Um, the, the wife was Muslim and the um, husband was Catholic and they married, which was a big no-no to begin with. Okay, so she married the Catholic and her uncle was a very prestigious man in town and he had a death threat on her. She f fled to this country. They were seeking asylum and they came to us. Um, they, she went to become part of the RCIA. She went to explore Christianity. Um, and so she spent, they, the family spent almost, uh, they spent two years with us, and she became a Christian at the end of one year. Um, and I remember talking to her about this, you know, because there was the, some concern that they may come over and try to get her, you know, that was part of the concern. Um, so there was a kind of a, they were sort of like in a, a kind of a hiding posture a lot of times. But she said that through it all, she says she came to this country you know, because she loved her husband. But she said that I was wanted to explore Christianity, but she said when she began the RCA, she was not like gung-ho trying to figure out who Jesus was, you know. But she said as time went on and she listened to the teachings, you know, and um, and she said her husband was praying for her as well. She said, and they had a little boy, by the way, um, just a young, smart child. I mean, he was brilliant, you know, beyond which we could imagine. And she said that at one point, it's like Jesus came to her in a dream and spoke to her about who he was, and she believed at that moment, you know. And that was, that was fascinating to hear. And, and it's not uncommon that the Lord is appearing to a lot of Muslims and in dreams and showing them who he is as the Son of God. You know, so she was baptized at the Easter Vigil, which was a, it was a great, great night, and it was a great celebration afterwards, you know, knowing the road they had come. They eventually got a Solomon's country. They became uh, United States citizens, and um, last I heard is they were living in Baltimore City, you know. So she developed a, she's a teaching, um, she developed a daycare, I think it was, so. But there will be opposition to the gospel, you know, and we know that, right? Uh, if you're at work and um, you start... You want to maybe talk about, if you say, like, somebody says, well, how was your weekend? You know, instead of saying, you know, well, the Ravens game was great or whatever, you know, maybe we say, I attended this Bible study, you know, <laughs> on Sunday morning, you know, and, you know, and we learned a lot about how the early church got going with sharing God, the gospel. I mean, what's the worst they can do? I mean, they might change the subject and say, you know, yeah, how about those cubs, you know? <laughs> 
someone said to me, the absolutely um, one, great thing they can do for us as Christians, but you know, horrendous it might sound like, is they could pull out a gun and say, I was looking for a Christian to kill. Bang, you're dead. You know? But then the good thing is you go straight to heaven. You're a martyr. <laughs> and we pray to you. <laughs> so um, the point being is that there will always be opposition to the gospel. You know, and we have to expect that. But the Lord is more than eager to fortify and strengthen and give us joy, just like he did with the apostles and Barnabas and Saul. And sometimes around the water cooler at work, there are opportunities to share our faith. And if we get rejected, probably most of us here can handle that. You know, um, The Lord has his own way of blessing us, even in the midst of rejection. So, okay, so that's the early church. So, the, so in summary then, so a conclusion here. First is surrender to the Holy Spirit daily. Ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember that beautiful Catholic prayer, come Holy Spirit, fill us, fill us you know, kindle in us the fire of your love. That's, pray that simple prayer with earnestness and openness to the Lord. We, we need the Holy Spirit filling us, empowering us. Secondly, give or share with believers in need. You know, um, when you have an opportunity when opportunity arises, it's an opportunity for all of us to give and share. The more we practice it, the greater we build unity amongst us. And thirdly, share with others the good news of Christ. The Lord is always bringing people into our life who need to hear the good news. Uh, we like to call it divine appointments. He brings divine appointments into our life. And uh, they're, they're abundant, you know. Um, so... Uh, I would suggest, you know, um, asking the Lord to help you become more aware, more sensitive to those divine appointments he brings us to. Okay, so let me shut off the recorder and then take any questions or comments you may have.